if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you just to keep it open to that verse in John 17. I, um, as I was saying last night, I'm hoping at this camp we can live in a dilemma. We can live in a dilemma. It's, it's easier not to. It's easier to not live in a dilemma. Uh, but in order to change, you need to have a picture of where you want to change to. Uh, in management speak, they, they talk about North Stars because a lot of management books are written in, in America uh, and in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, we don't have a North Star because uh, it's in the North. Uh, and apparently the North Star is a fixed point. It doesn't move. All the other stars rotate around it. We have our Southern Cross, which I, as I was, I did two weeks of Cub Scouts and uh, I failed Cub Scouts, uh, but, but I, I remember trying to understand how you have to line up the two pointers and the, the Southern Cross, and you had to do some kind of geometry to work out where South was. I know it's not complicated, but, you know. Uh, but at least in the North Star, you don't have to do anything. You just head towards the North Star. Uh, and, and the idea in leadership... Uh, is that you need a North Star. You need something outside of yourself to get your bearings from. Now, I, I think that's true of the church. I think it's true of any group of people. You need something outside yourself to get your bearings from. What happens if you don't? What happens if you don't have something outside yourself to get your bearings from? Yeah, I, you, you either walk in circle, you walk wherever you feel like walking or you don't walk at all, I reckon. They're, 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 they're kind of the two options. Either you are a group of people led by everybody's feelings about where we should go, uh, which gets complicated because everyone has different feelings, uh, or you just stay where you are and and you are defined by your past rather than your future. And so what I'm hoping is we can get a picture of a North Star, a direction. I, I think one of the challenges we have to overcome as we begin this discussion is I, I think many churches through the 20th century and 21st century had a wrong North Star. Actually had a heretical North Star. That's a, a bit of a statement. But I, 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 do, I actually, I, I do think it's true. Uh, there was a, while it's true that many churches uh, had, and, and churches can quite happily exist without a North Star, can quite happily exist either to serve people's feelings or, or just to stay stuck where they were and be, be run by tradition. Uh, those are two temptations for churches. Churches that really moved forward through the 20th century were shaped by a thing called church growth thinking that was come up with a, by a man by the name of Donald McGavran. Now, you've probably never heard of Donald McGavran. 
But my guess is you've heard of some of the people who were deeply influenced by Donald McGavran. People like Bill Hybels, John Maxwell, Jerry Falwell, John MacArthur, Robert Shuler and Rick Warren. All of these people were deeply influenced by Donald McGavran. Donald McGavran wrote a book called Understanding Church Growth and every pastor really uh, through the late 20th century had to read that book. As I came into the North American church I was part of, that book was required reading. Now again, most people haven't heard of him but I, I, as I came to my first ever Baptist conference uh, at Camp Clayton, which was a little bit of a come down, I've got to say. Because the, we, were, we, we were part of a, a denomination in Canada called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And the church in North America is a, a little bigger and a little more resourced than the church in Tasmania. And so we would have our pastors' conferences uh, in Canada at the Lake Louis, Chateau Lake Louise. Have you been there? It was, hard, it was a hard life, you know, uh, and uh, our first, the, about three days after arriving here in Tassie, we went up to the pastor's conference at Camp Clayton, <laughs> where well, you had to bring your own uh, sleeping bag. Anyway, so we were, pray- but at, at, um, at that conference, we had Michael Frost talking, who was a, a, a missiologist, uh, has really been quite influential in the global church. Uh, and I was chatting to him about some of this stuff. It was also really helpful for him because he, he had some interactions with my dad and Fusion and stuff, so he talked a bit about that. Um, but uh, he said he didn't believe anybody has influenced the Christian church more than Donald McGavran through the 20th and 21st century, which is interesting because most of us have never heard of him. But I, Donald McGavran's point was that the north star for the church was to grow the church. And so many of the most successful churches focused on church growth. Uh, And built into what Donald McGavran was saying was actually a fundamental heresy. And it's this. Uh, They call it the homogeneous principle. And I'll quote from him, he says, people like to become Christians without crossing racial, linguistic or class barriers. What he said was, you need to find your target market. Find the the group of people based on race, based on economic well-being, uh, and based on geography, and target them. Famously, Rick Warren, taking this to heart, came up with Saddleback Sam. Has anybody heard of this? This is, this is sort of inside baseball, I guess. Uh, sort of a, Rick Warren identified, this is, this is a, again a quote from Rick Warren, uh, a, a, collar, a, a, a collared, someone wearing like a polo shirt or a shirt, khaki wearing, this is during the 80s, uh, upwardly mobile business entrepreneur type of person who's trying to move up the ladder and organised the whole of Saddleback Church around trying to serve Saddleback Sam. He identified a target market. 
the idea was that you create a church, they actually named it the homogeneous principle. You create a church where people act, talk and think similarly because it's more comfortable that way. That was, so the North Star for the church became church growth and they worked through basic marketing thinking to identify your target segment and market your market to that. And, and it worked. It worked. To a degree. And I, I want to suggest that church growth is not the North Star we should have. I, 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 what I'm wanting to raise with this, with us, is I, I don't think, I think it's really right to have a North Star. I think it's really important to have a, an external picture of what we should be. Like, and as I said, if you don't have that, then you're either run by your feelings, and so you're every, we're looking for a group of people who feel about church just the way I feel about church, and, and so it becomes, you know, who's got the strongest feelings about stuff, or you just stay the same. But I, I don't think that church growth should be our North Star. So what I'm wanting to raise for us is this question, what if when Jesus prayed for us. I pray they might be one, Father. As you and I are one. What if that was our North Star? You see, right up front, that, it, that goes directly against what Donald McGavran saying. Donald McGavran saying, find your target market... Jesus is praying for the Christian church. I pray they, old and young, rich and poor, black and white, would be one. Now, we've got to be honest. It's not easy to be one, particularly with people who are different to you. But I, I think we have to come to terms with the fact we just we actually need each other. We need each other. You are more you when you're in relationship with other people. I uh, was listening the other day to a, a, a book about corporate culture, and interesting enough, it, it brought up the the story of Helen Keller. Who knows the story of Helen Keller? Have you heard of Helen Keller? Helen Keller was, uh, as a baby, she developed meningitis that meant that she became blind and deaf and as a result of that, unable to talk. And there was uh, a partially blind lady, Annie, um, I think I know one, Annie Sullivan, that was her name, who came and for the first time, 10 weeks tried to get through to Helen. They, uh, every, Helen acted like an animal. She would be reactive and, and angry and frustrated. And, and, and Annie Sullivan, this blind, her parents were desperate. And this partially blind lady came 
and loved Helen and gradually taught her to spell out with her hands, on her hands, what kept trying and trying to say, this is, how, this is what this is, this is what this and using her hands to communicate. And it took 10 weeks of trying. But finally, one day, she put Helen's hand under water and she spelled out the word water and it's like the penny dropped. She went, ah, water. And on that day... Helen learned 40 words. And what she said was that before finding words, before being able to communicate with someone else, it was like she was a shadow. She wasn't even a person. But she became a person as she was able to interact with other people. A man by the name of Parker Palmer said... We are formed, and Parker Palmer was a guy that write, wrote a lot about the philosophy of teaching and how things work. I, some really useful books. Uh, what he said is, we are formed by the lives which intersect with, our, with ours. The larger and richer our community, the larger and richer we will be. There is no individuality without community. Thus, the surprising finding than an affluent suburb with all its options but without community may nurture individuality less than a provincial, provincial village with few choices but rich community life. I got uh, friends uh, all over the world. Um, I've got my sister and my brother-in-law worked in uh, Trenchtown in Jamaica, uh, second highest murder rate in the world, 80% uh, of children living in Trenchtown don't know who their father is. It's not that they're living in, they actually just don't know who their father is. But in that context, as you discover Jesus, it changes things and I was really challenged by my mate Kevon, who grew up uh, in a, a place not far from Trenchtown, a place called Majesty Gardens. They've got these beautiful names for places over there that don't reflect what's actually happening. Uh, and, and he said, we need to pray for you Australians. Your money is getting in the road. Your comfort is getting in the road from you experiencing what life is actually about, which is interesting. So Parker Palmer is saying that the, sometimes the rich life of a bunch of people who know they need each other is better for you than a, a community where you don't need people. Um, Eugene Peterson said this, he said, there are Christians, of course, who never put their names down on a membership list. There are Christians who refuse to respond to the call to worship each Sunday. There are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. Whether they like it or not, though, they are members of the church all the same, whether they acknowledge it or not. 
For God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true, intimate, yes, but private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. As you open yourself to faith, you actually are invited into community. If we're to be honest, if we're to take Jesus' North Star as a North Star, we have to face some uncomfortable truths, though. We're not, I don't, I might be wrong. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But I, I don't know that it, you could look at Citywide Baptist Church and say, yeah, they are perfectly one just as the Father and Son are one. Do you think that's true? I think, I think it's true. I, I don't think, I, I am not aware of a local church that could say, yeah, we've got this sorted. And if you zoom out from the local church to the church, it gets even more complicated. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I think it's one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour, in Christian America. I definitely think that the Christian church should be integrated. And any church that stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and teachings of Jesus Christ and fails to be a true witness. Can you hear what Martin Luther King is saying there is the direct opposite of what Donald McGavran was teaching. I, I think what Jesus is praying for for us is that we would find ways to be the body of Christ that is old and young, rich and poor, black and white, but one. I, I think that there are many verses in the Bible we read as theological truths because it's safer to read them that way rather than to think about what does it actually mean if we were to take this seriously. Like Romans 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Or Philippians 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Or Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. I, I actually 
think that the vision of what the church is meant to be is actually pretty clear in the New Testament. It's just difficult. It's just difficult. Um, one of the, the great thinkers of the 20th century, his name eludes me for the moment, I had it in my notes. Uh, it was friends just preceded C.S. Lewis. Uh, he said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, but, but it's been tried and found difficult. <laughs> and so, left alone. I, I actually think we're called to do something that's really challenging. The Apostle Paul, I believe, was trying to communicate this to the Corinthians when he said, Now the body is not made of of one part but many. If the foot shouldn't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. That's 1 Corinthians 12. I... I think what Donald McGavran was trying to do was create a body of single body parts. And I think that's heresy. But it is easier. It's much easier. Eugene Peterson writes, the people we encounter as brothers or sisters in faith are not always nice people. They don't stop being sinners the moment they believe they begin believing in Christ. They don't suddenly metamorphose into brilliant conversationalists, exciting companions and glowing inspirations. Some of them are cranky. Some of them are dull. And others, if the truth must be spoken, are a drag. But at the same time, our Lord tells us that they are brothers and sisters in the faith. And if God is my father, this is my family. So the question isn't, am I going to be part of a community of faith? But how am I going to live in this community of faith? God's children do different things. Some run away from it and pretend the family doesn't exist. Some move out and get an apartment on their own from which they return to make occasional visits. Nearly always showing up for the parties and bringing a gift to show that they really do hold the others in fond regard. And some would never dream of leaving, but they cause other people to dream it for them because they're always criticising what is served at the meals, quarrelling about the way the housekeeping is done and complaining that the others in the family are either ignoring or taking advantage of them. 
So how do we actually be one? If it, if it is true that Jesus is calling us to be one, how do, you, how do you actually do that? Well, through history, because we're created in the image of God, I think there is a deep longing for us. We, we know that's what we want. And throughout history, there have been different attempts. By far, the most successful way for people to be one has been totalitarian rule. In fact, uh, the Thomas Hobbes argued that that's what we need. We need some superhuman being who has it all and is able to then tell everybody else what to do, and that's the most effective form of government. What is clear is Christianity is not a model of totalitarian government, thank goodness. I, I actually think, uh, in terms of organising a country, we haven't found a, a model better than democracy. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, I'm a Democrat or a proponent of democracy because I believe in the fall of man. I think most people are Democrats for the opposite reason. A great deal of democratic enthusiasm de descends from the ideas of people like Rousseau who believe in democracy because they think mankind is so wise and good that everyone des deserves to share in the government. The danger of defending democracy on those grounds is that it's just not true. I find they're not true without looking further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen roost, much less a nation. The real reason for democracy is just the reverse. Mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Aristotle said that some people were only fit to be slaves. I don't contradict him. But I reject slavery because I no, see no men fit to be masters. The great challenge we have with the idea of one superperson over everybody else is that all people are broken. I keep coming back to, at, at the moment we live in a divided world where we sort of think that the problem are people who don't think like us. And if we can just change the way they think about whatever issue it is, and at the moment we're talking about a referendum and it's happening with that, but we've had the same discussions in lots of different ways and we're becoming increasingly polarised. It's actually a, uh, they, they talk about cultural Marxism. What, what that means is this sense that uh, through the Marxist, Karl Marx identified that the, the real issue was econ economic and we needed to that it's not fair that a whole lot of people are rich and a whole lot of people are poor, so we needed to get rid of the rich and, and make it more equal. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was part of that uh, revolution. He was a communist. And he really believed if he got rid of the rich, things would get better. And he wrote a very famous book called The Gulag Archipelago in which he says, I, I now realise, and this is the challenge when it comes to being one, he said, I now realise the line between good and evil isn't between people. If you see the people out there as the problem, you're missing the point. 
He's saying the biblical truth, and this is what C.S. Lewis is saying, is the line between good and evil doesn't run between people, it runs down the middle of every human heart. And so, yes, the most effective way to govern people is often totalitarian rule, but it's dehumanising and dangerous. Now, there are other ways you can do it. Uh, From a religious perspective, you can create a cult. A cult is where everybody walks, talks, dresses the same. Usually there's one leader, again, that everybody's following, but but it's not just that they are following because because of power. They believe somehow that this one leader has all the answers. That's that's dangerous. We see example after example. The Christian church is not a cult. Uh, Henry Ford helped us see a new way of being one. And the Industrial Revolution helped us see a new way of being one. Where we could create a a hierarchy uh, and everybody could do little bits of of a job and we could produce a Model T Ford or a Big Mac. I, I've been on a number of, in a number of different countries and had big, who's had Big Macs in different, or McDonald's in different countries? It, it is fascinating. These hamburgers are created by 15-year-olds who probably don't know how to cook an egg, but they can produce a, the same burger all over the place uh, because the Industrial Revolution taught us how to organise under a hierarchical system, which is the most effective way to produce a great deal of the same thing. A hierarchical system is the most effective way to produce a great deal of the same thing. And in a hierarchical system, authority is clear, uh, and, er- and as long as everybody follows the policies and procedures, everything will work. If you're flying up an airplane, you talk to Dale, you don't want everybody to think, Uh, okay, how do I want to do it today? Now, there's actually a whole lot of checklists you have to follow, and I don't want a pilot to feel free to ditch a checklist. Like, hierarchical systems are revolutionised through the Industrial Revolution how we do life, because it meant that we can produce a great deal of the same thing. And they are great ways to produce a great deal of the same thing at a consistent quality. But what it requires is people who want a great deal of the same thing. You don't go to McDonald's for a T-bone steak. And one of the challenges becomes where we start to use industrial revolution methods for dealing with people. We start to, instead of talking about people, we talk about clients. One of the guys that did the research on this and did a lot of work on social capital, do you know that he pointed out that the word client uh, in uh, its original uh, Latin means one who is controlled. One of the great challenges for the NDIS is it's a hierarchical system trying to deal with people and people don't fit in boxes. And one of the dangers for the church growth model is that it became a hierarchical system to do church. And it's 
brilliant. It can produce a great deal of the same thing. I, I think there's a lot we can learn from some of the, the brilliant churches and the way they've organised things. And I, I love some of their music and the way things have... I, I don't, I'm not wanting to stand here and say that's... You know, I think there are people who have dedicated their life to Jesus and as a result, all kinds of people come to faith. And I, I do think, though, we need to understand that there are fundamental limits... And I, I think we've hit the fundamental limit of the church growth movement. I, I actually think Hillsong did it perfectly. They, they really produced um, beautiful services, beautiful music, and they had a, a, a well-managed organisational system. Wherever you went on the planet and went to a Hillsong church, you would get the same church. It is, I think we are, as, an, as, a, as, a, as the Christian church in the world, hitting a dilemma where we're realising, okay, we've got as far as we can with that way of thinking, what's next? How, this, it, it wasn't enough. And Bill Hybels uh, did a survey of his church about uh, 10 years before stuff imploded for him, and he found that way of doing church didn't produce mature followers of Jesus. It produced consumers because you could only operate in terms of programs. And, and so discipleship meant going from one program to another program to another program, because you needed to be clients. In order to be consistent and produce a great deal of the same thing, you needed everybody to have the same needs. One of the most complicated things about this moment is, at least in my generation, we all listen to the same music. We listen to the top 40, Coca-Cola top 40. We, had, we went through similar things, but this generation coming up, there's almost no box you can put them in. And so the idea of being able to do church as a hierarchical system just doesn't work anymore. And there's a disconnect. So, so what kind of model? What are we looking at? How do, you, how do, we, how do we do it then? Jesus didn't call us to a totalitarian rule. He didn't call us to a hierarchy. He called us to having a different picture of what the church is meant to be when he said, Father, I pray they might be one just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus assumption was that the model of the, the, his relationship with his dad and the way that the life of the Trinity worked would be the model for the life of the church. We'd be that kind of community. So what does that actually mean? What it means is We are not a cult. Jesus is not the Father, and the Father is not Jesus, and neither are the Holy Spirit. They are, they are different persons, but they are one. The early Christian church wrestled. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's not there. 
but you will find its uh, expressions. And there are, there's about three Bible verses where it talks about all three in the same sentence, including the Great Commission where you baptise them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the, as the early church wrestled with what the Trinity is, it said that it came up with the word perichoresis, which is not a word you use regularly. It's a Greek word, and what it actually means is a dance. I'm not a dancer. I've tried. Leanne will tell you, I've tried. I've, I've got a, um, a friend who is a champion ballroom dancer from Canada, Gordon. Uh, and he tells me, like when you watch ballroom dancing, uh, anyone here a ballroom dancer? Anyone know? Uh, oh, yeah, we've got a couple who... One of the things I don't, I just don't understand this, so you'll have to take his word for it and you probably need to talk to Janine afterwards, uh, Jeanette afterwards. Uh, I, uh, he tells me that when ballroom dancing is doing well, the, the male partner creates a frame in which the female partner is able to express herself. And they are, they are it's not like they're doing a rote kind of, okay, I've got to do this step, then this step, then this step. They are responding and reacting to each other and the music. And they, are, they move as one, but they are both individuals and able to make choices as they go, and they're responding to each other. And that's, the, the, that's what the church fathers came up with as the, the model of what the church is meant to be. They, this, this, well, the, this is what Jesus said we are meant to be like. We are meant to be... Just as, I pray they might be one, just as you and I are one. And so as the church wrestled with, what does that look like? The best language they could come up with is say, it's like Jesus and the Father are in a dance. They react and respond to each other. They are one, they move together, but they are individuals. I, I think that often the picture we have of church is anemic, too small the kind of community we have in our heads and our hearts, we, we, don't, we can't imagine what a community like this would be like. I, a, a, a guy um, who wrote a whole book about the Trinity, a fellow called Baxter Kruger, he called it the Great Dance. Is that a fallback? Ah, hold on. Um, And he tried to capture a little bit of what uh, the life in the Trinity actually is and trying to give us a bit of a picture of what a church could be, I think, as part of that. He said, God is not some faceless, all-powerful abstraction. The God is Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in a passionate and joyous fellowship. The Trinity is not three highly committed religious types sitting around some room in heaven. The Trinity is a circle of shared life, and the life shared is full, not empty, abounding and rich and beautiful, not lonely and sad and boring. 
I, I think part of our task is to get to know the relationship God has with the Father better, Jesus has with the Father better, and that they both have with the Holy Spirit. And to see what Jesus is saying is, that is the model of the oneness I, I want for my church. I, I think it's interesting, as, as because we're created in the image of God, I think we kind of know that's the community we're built for. That's, that's what we want. We, we know that we were not meant to be alone. But we also know that relationships are painful. And so we, we long for a community to meet our needs. And that longing can itself be a problem. Bonhoeffer says those who love their picture of community actually become destroyers of that community. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Because what you're loving is an idea you have in your head about what the community should be or what the church should be, what the family should be, rather than the real people who are in front of you. So the idea itself becomes a problem. But if you listen to your heart, I bet you, if you listen, listen to that description of what the Trinity is, I bet you there's part of you that knows, yeah, that's the kind of, that's what I'm, that's what I'm built for. I've got some data on this. Um, McCrindle Research asked Aussies what they would long to see in a flourishing community. What they would say would a healthy community would look like. And they said there were six things. Laughing and having fun together was the number one. You see, Baxter Kruger, there's this sense of joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That laughing and having fun together. As he said, Baxter Kruger talks about a passionate and joyous fellowship. He says, ease of conversation. In a healthy there's an ease of conversation. Inclusive and accepting of others. Feeling seen, known and valued. And frequent communication and connection. This is what ordinary Aussies say a healthy community looks like. Funnily enough, it's almost exactly what the Trinity is. It's, it's what Jesus says he wants for his church. I, I, I still think we really struggle to get our heads around what all this means. So I'm going to turn to the great theologian Bono. Uh, I, I think one of the best descriptions of Trinity and Trinitarian life is embedded in the song One. Bono writes, one love, one blood. One life, you've got to do what you should. One life with each other, sisters, brothers. One life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. This is the model of church, a call to attention of being one, but not trying to make everybody be the same as what you think they should be. It's not simple, but whenever it's at its best, 
the church has changed the world. Now, we need to talk more about what it actually means, and we'll talk, I, we'll talk more about it tomorrow morning. Uh, but I think Donald McGavran was right when he said it's much easier to find a target market. It's much easier to hang around with people who are like you. What I love about Citywide is we're trying an experiment that's right in our face. We are, we're, we're trying to work out what does it mean to be one when we've got people who are under 30 and over 30. And you'll discover at the moment in our cultural history, there is a massive divide, uh, more than there has been in other generations, I think, between people of different ages. And so there are many people under 30 who don't even watch TV. They, there are, they follow people, there are influential, there's people like, I think I've mentioned this before, people know the name Logan Paul. You know, every, most white people under 30 know what, who Logan Paul is. No, no white people over 30 know what <laughs> Logan Paul is. He's one of the most influential people on, in the planet. Um, not only that, are we trying to bridge the divide between under 30s and over 30s, we are also, what I, I love about our church is we're trying to do something that's impossible. We're trying to be one church between people born in Nepal and people born in Australia. Two, di two very different cultures. I, I'm actually hoping and praying that eventually God will bring people from other cultures as well. And so we might have, who knows, a Chinese congregation or a or an Arabic con congregation, who knows? But there is, but I think God's gentle. He, he's, he knows for both the Nepalese congregations and the Australian congregations, just starting with each other is enough. There, there's enough, compli enough complications between, for Nepalese people trying to understand Australians and Australians trying to understand Nepalese people. But I, I think what is beautiful about what we're doing is we are trying to be one. We are trying to be one. But it's not easy. It's very easy to misunderstand each other. Like, it's easy enough between a married couple to misunderstand each other. Leanne and I never do. <laughs> but I've heard. <laughs> but this is the miracle the church is meant to be. And we see this is what Jesus says will actually change the world. He said, if you are one, then the world will know who I am. It's not about our evangelistic campaigns. So why, why would Jesus set this as our North Star? Why would he pray this for us? Why would he say this? Well, it's because we can't do it. It's because we can't do it. We could do church growth. We could put a management plan together. We could identify a target market. 
But being one, but not the same with people who are not like you, requires a miracle. It requires you to die to yourself and love people who are really hard to love. And as a result, it forces you to grow up. It forces you to become more mature. It forces you to face the part of you that just wants a bunch of people who will do what you think is the right thing to do all the time. If it's one thing the church will never be when it's at its best, it's a bunch of people who think like you. And some of the people will think so differently to you, you can hardly imagine that they're following the same God you're following. I want to talk more about this tomorrow, but I I think Jesus demonstrated for us the kind of church he wanted us to be was not a bunch of people where everybody was thinking the same and doing the same thing. If he wanted that, he would have organized a bunch of seminarians, people who are, you know had master's degrees in theology and all that sort of stuff, and he would have sat down and said, here's the five-point plan. And No, he organized a bunch of people who didn't like each other. He, he, he organized, his first disciples included people who were collaborators with the Romans and freedom fighters who were trying to kill the Romans. He calls us to be one, but not the same. I... I think the danger in church growth thinking is it's a bit like the Tower of Babel where we try to get to God in our own strength. And the danger with any kind of management thinking in the church where we think we can organise our way to heaven is it's a bit like the Tower of Babel. Christopher Watkins in the book um, Biblical Critical Theory, if if you're up for a if you really want to get into the Bible and have, you, have things challenged, that, this is a new book that, I'm, that I've found really helpful. It's called Biblical Critical Theory. It's heavy going. But what he says is, for the people in the Tower of Babel, rather than playing a role in God's story, which their role was very clear, they were to fill the earth and subdue it, these people wanted to, God to play a role in their story. And I... I think this is where we get to at the end of our teaching session today. I, I think Jesus is inviting us, rather than seeing God as a mascot to fit into our needs, as a strategy to get our needs met. I think when Jesus says, I pray they might be one father as you and I are one, he's saying with a smile on his face, I've created them to need the kind of community that is only possible if they're willing to put their own needs aside and love me enough to love other people. Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about, in the sermon tomorrow morning, we'll talk about the fact that I I think because of this church growth thinking, we've been focused on the wrong mission and the wrong gospel. But I, 
I think in the, in the short term, I think part of what we want to say is this is, the, this is the hope. What would it mean for us to be a church where we, are, where we are actually one but not the same? After morning tea, when we meet down on the lawn, uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to hear a little bit about the community here and what they've learnt along the way and some of the stories um, of, of some of the heroes and some really precious people. But then we're going to ask you to do some thinking. Dan will explain it to you. But I encourage you to bring your phones because we'll, we wanna, we're going to break into small groups and we're going to use, for, for those, I don't know if you remember Mentimeter where we use QR codes. There are four Mentimeter questions we're going to wrestle with together. Just what does it mean for us to hold this vision in tension? of the kind of community we're called to be, but also be honest with where we're actually up to. And what would change if this was actually our North Star? If this was actually the kind of church we wanted to be? Well, Dan will explain that more to you as we go, and that'll be part of what we wrestle with uh, after morning tea. I, I love that Jesus calls us to a vision that is not possible on our own. I love the fact that he calls us to be one. I just encourage us to, as we come, as we wrap it up, look, just, just for a minute, look around the room. Look at the people here in this room. Just, no, actually, really do it. Look around. A bit, a bit awkward, isn't it? Yeah. Would you agree we are different? So I wonder what it means for us to be one but not the same. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge uh, sometimes we go through life without any kind of North Star, so we just run by our feelings or we're stuck where we are. Sometimes we go through life with the wrong North Star and as a result we head in the wrong direction. Uh, but Jesus, your prayer gives us some kind of bearing and, and it seems that you want something, your, your heart for our church is that somehow we would be one but not the same. All of us can testify that we know relationships are difficult. There are, there's pain and often we feel misunderstood. And the idea of trying to lift our head above the parapets and, and, and find different ways of relating isn't simple. Can you help us? Can you help us glimpse this weekend the kind of church you are calling us to be? Can you help us glimpse who you are, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is, and, and glimpse your relationship and, and, and see that that's a, that's a different kind of relationship than we're used to. And I have this sense that you've got a grin on your face saying, see, this is what you're called to. Help us be open to your vision for the church, Jesus, and hold loosely our own visions. We ask this in your name. Amen.